We pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, I could have swapped out this opening story, but I didn't. We're going to let Dr. Lessing take the fall for this one. He writes, it was the annual Lessing family vacation, 2006 edition. It was late December. We were in Florida. We couldn't wait to hit the beach, and then it happened. Just north of Daytona Beach, we saw the ocean. Dad, stop the car, take a left, let's hit the beach. So I did what any good dad would do. I hung a Louie so we could hit the beach. We hit the beach all right, but we also hit some sand, some really deep sand, bam! Everyone lurched forward. There were four sets of eyes glaring at me. A lesser man would have mustered the troops to get him out and push. But not me. No, sir. No, sir, Bob. I hit the accelerator. Full throttle. The van didn't budge. Neither did I. I hit the accelerator again. I was confident I could get us out. Result? I ended up going deeper and deeper into the sand. Lisa's blurting out, Reed, what are you thinking? Well, that's the problem. I wasn't. We were stuck and there was no way out. Aaron knows. Oh, my. Aaron, Moses' older brother, he knows what it feels like to be stuck in the sand. We're in a series on the book of Exodus, and tonight we come to chapter 32. First, Aaron takes a wrong turn. Second, Aaron gets stuck. Third, Aaron hits the accelerator and ends up digging himself and the Israelites into a huge hole. Boy, do I feel his pain. The context. The golden calf episode in Exodus 32 is sandwiched between God's instructions to Moses about the tabernacle, chapters 25 to 31, and the tabernacle's construction, chapters 35 to 40. The crisis. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Moses had been up on the top of Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. The people were getting impatient. How long? You know the feeling. So do I. We see how long it takes to get through school. We see how long it takes to build a marriage. We see how long it takes to raise a family. We see how long it takes to save money. We don't like a God who makes us wait. We want a God who can satisfy right now. That's what Aaron offers. Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. All the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. And with that, Aaron made a wrong turn. Next, Aaron got stuck. The claim. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf, and he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. Aaron makes a, a stunning claim. Aaron calls the calf the Lord. Literally, Yahweh. Really? The calf is Yahweh? Question. How often do we exchange a real God for a fake God and then claim the fake God is the real God? Answer, we do this too often. We do this far too often. 
What are the top fake gods in America? Eh, money, sports, jobs, self-image. Well, money, sports, jobs, and self-image promise everything. But in the end, money, sports, jobs, and self deliver nothing. So Aaron takes a wrong turn. Aaron gets stuck, and then Aaron hits the accelerator and ends up digging himself and the Israelites into a huge hole. And what would that be? The people celebrated with feasting and drinking and indulging in pagan revelry. Pagan revelry means sexual immorality. When Paul reflects on Exodus 32 and 1 Corinthians 10, that's what he calls it, sexual immorality. Pornea, oh no, what a huge hole. Now come on, it starts just like Aaron. We get impatient. How long? We take a wrong turn. We get stuck. But then we're tempted to hit the accelerator. How so? By disregarding the sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Someone slides a room key in your direction. Someone shows up in Facebook and just wants to talk. Someone offers a listening ear, a gentle touch, or more. Justifications and rationalizations pop up like seeds after a summer rain. No one will know it. I won't get caught. What's the big deal? Anyway, I'm only human. We don't like the God who makes us wait. We want a God that can satisfy right now. So let me say this very clearly. Don't hit the accelerator. If you're stuck in an emotional, financial, or relational hole, don't make matters worse by doing something you'll regret the rest of your life. Here's what I suggest. Make a list of all the people who would be hurt by your doing something immoral. I've got my list. Lynn, Mary Jane, my three children, one son-in-law, two daughters-in-law, the twins, Tom and Ben, my colleagues in the ministry, you, the dear people of Redeemer. My shame would fall on that entire list. One bad decision is a poor exchange for a lifetime of lost legacy. Dads, would you intentionally break the arm of your child? No, it would violate the very fiber of your being. But one sexual dalliance will bring more pain into your children's lives than a hundred broken arms. Moms, would you force your children to sleep outside on a cold winter night? No, it would violate every fiber of your being. But one affair will bring more darkness and chill into the lives of your children than a hundred winters. If you're unmarried, would you desecrate a Bible or make a mockery of the cross? No, yet when you are immoral, you break God's heart. In Exodus 32, verses 21, 30, and 31, Moses calls Israel's sexual immorality a, quote, great sin. It's a great sin because of who committed it? Aaron, the high priest, and the Israelites, God's chosen people. It's a great sin because of where they committed it, on Mount Sinai, God's holy mountain. It's a great sin because of when they committed it, right after God delivered them from Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. If I were Moses, I'd wash my hands of the whole mess. But Moses doesn't do that. Moses doesn't do that at all. The covenant, Moses prays, 
Turn away from your fierce anger, O Lord. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. When you're in a hole, claim the covenant. What covenant? God's covenant with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And guess what happens? The Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. The covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel is an everlasting covenant sealed in blood. That's what we're told in Genesis 15.10. Sin can't break that covenant. Idolatry can't nullify it. Death can't defeat it. And a huge hole can't destroy it. A huge hole, a really huge hole, cannot touch it. The commandment God cut with Abraham, Isaac, and Israel is fulfilled in the death of Jesus. God's covenant promise sealed forever in Jesus' blood shed on the cross for you. The covenant blood of Jesus announces that God is always loving. God is always kind. God is always forgiving. God is always abounding in grace and mercy. We all take wrong turns. We all build golden calves. We all worship other gods. We've all known the hell of the hole. I don't care how deep our hole is. We're not stuck. We're not stuck in a hell hole forever. What can we do? We can do what Moses did. Claim the covenant. Claim Christ's new covenant promises delivered to us in his cleansing, powerful, and renewing blood. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.